Do you shop on Amazon.com? Of course you do. You can now support the Midwest Podcast Network while doing so. Go to Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com and a very small percentage of your purchase will go towards making our network and its content even better. That's Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Bookmark it today. Welcome to the Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Nick. I'm Tim. I'm Willie. Today we're going to talk about movies where the director casts himself in a role. And then we're going to talk about Nick's choice for keyframes, Day for Night, from director Francois Truffaut. Or Francois, Francois Truffaut's Day for Night, as I normally say it. Okay. As you if do. any of them deserve it, it's probably <laughs> I like how you did that the reverse of the director of Dracula <laughs> Untold. <laughs> you just got done listening to a bunch of French where the, the word order is not necessarily yeah, the exactly. same. That's true. That's true. Uh, before we get to that, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you can go to write to us. Let us know what you think of the show, the things that we talk about. We're also on Instagram and Twitter at MFN Podcast. We're on Facebook and Vine, Midwest Film Nerds Podcast. And then MidwestFilmNerds.com has all previous 144 plus bonus episodes and full show notes with time codes so you can skip over the spoiler Terry. Finally, Amazon.MidwestPodcastNetwork.com is where you can shop on Amazon and have part of your purchase come to us so that we can take that money and make our show and network even better. Uh, before we get to that, Tim. Yes. The first film in your draft has uh, come out. Oh, yeah. And uh, it has some... It's- some uh, rating on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Last I checked, it was at a 75 I think certified it, fresh. Last I checked, 75, it was, yeah, fresh. It is at, I'm checking right now, up to date, 76. 76. So it climbed up a percent. All right. Black Mask got a 76 on Rotten Tomatoes, the first score. Uh, we should probably maybe figure out how long. I think it's pretty steady. It might shift by a percentage point by the yeah. time this ends, but... I was thinking by the last movie. Give it like out, a week and a half. Give or it like a week like and a half, and then you go with okay. whatever. Yeah. Because I know right. some of those, like, oh boy, Trumbo will probably get more reviews around award season, if anything. Yeah, it's kind of. That'll be kind of. That's probably a smaller release. So. Well, this yeah. carries us through Christmas, right? Is yes. This carries us through the end of the year. So we could probably okay. just make the cutoff at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. First results in for the fall movie draft. All right, uh, Nick, as this is your keyframes movie, you suggested the idea of uh, talking about movies where the director casts himself. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to start in particular. I'll go. All right, Willie. Willie will go. What's on your list? Um, I'll say say whether or not you enjoy this fact or you don't. Yes, I will. I will. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with one that I do enjoy. Uh, One, Mr. Clint Eastwood. Clint knows his strengths. He knows how to direct his strengths. He's not the greatest actor in the world, but he doesn't have the biggest range in the world, but he knows exactly what he's great at, and he knows when to cast himself in a role like that. So Clint's on point. That's he a knows great one. Stuff. Yeah. He just, I didn't even he, think of that. He's never turned in a bad performance in one of his own movies. And he's, he's been directing himself for like 40 years. A long time. <laughs> so Clint, good job. Unforgiven is the one I think of. Oh, he's I a delight like in that film, yeah. too. He's and, a delight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a delight. The first it time is. that word's ever been used <laughs> is Unforgiven. Um, I feel like the only Clint Eastwood movie I've seen is uh, Space Cowboys. 
All right. What? (laughs) All right. (laughs) First the Karate Kid. (laughs) Then Fantasia. Yeah, and yeah. now this. I say no. Space Cowboys is good. Space Cowboys is quite a fun little. It's actually not a fun little. John, it's like two and a half hours long. Yeah, it's but... way too long. <laughs> it moves at the pace of its stars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is funny and it is cute. Yeah. I mean, there might be something else, but that's the only one I can think of off the top of my head. We were just talking about this though—that you wanted to explore Western, more westerns. What, like that was one of our previous segments. Was like genres that we want to look into more. And, Have you seen Tombstone? No. Oh fuck. Uh, <laughs> Le combat, <laughs> dude. No, I, so uh, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. There might there might be something else. Have you seen Young Guns? Not that it's one of the best <laughs> westerns, but you should see it. No. It's awesome. I know. I, I, I think that's one of the movies that my... Both of those are movies that my dad's like, yeah, I want DVDs. You guys got some Young Guns fans in this room, right? Yeah, you I got like some Young Guns. Fans? Yeah, I like Nick? Young Guns. I've got, never seen Young Guns. It's got Lou Diamond Phillips, right? Yeah, LDP. Uh, absolutely. Key for Sutherland. LDP. LDP. Yeah. As Chavez so Chavez. Yeah, Chavez Chavez. <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys. Was Bed of Roses from Young Guns 2 or yeah, 1? Yeah, uh, okay. Bon Jovi did the entire soundtrack for Young Guns 2. Oh yeah, it's awesome. And he's in it. <laughs> He's in it. Fuck There's yeah. another one for the movie game. Yeah, that's... we played. We played the movie. You remember the old timey, old time movie game? Yeah, actor, movie actor. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we played that the other day. We were watching football. Him and Gojo and I. And Gojo was gonna go with Bon Jovi from because uh, Alex thought that Haley Joel Osment was in Hearts of Atlantis, and I had to smack him down to reality and tell him that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's Anton Yelkin. And then I was like, it's Anton never... Yelkin. And then Gojo goes, "Damn!" Because I was gonna go pay it forward, Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> you could do. And I said, John Carpenter's would... Vampires Los Muertos. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> But I'd have to think of someone else who's in that, and I I don't think I Yeah, know. good luck. Yeah, exactly. Think, exactly. We should probably play that game with on, the time on limit here. on the Absolutely. On here. That'd be yeah. fun. All right. Look we we had a really good round of it the other day. That it was, was pretty good. Was... We were we were pretty forgiving on it. We didn't go for the throat. We did. Until yeah. it was someone like... decided to go for the throat though, and then I had to close it off real quick. I was like, All right, this guy yeah, was I think it was me. I think I took Gojo out and then you took me out. I think Gojo took himself out because he said something pretty hard. And then I came back with something, and then you came, went to you, but you set him up with something hard, too. Yeah. I don't know. We redacted a few times. It was fun. Yeah. You, um, and, you and me and my brother used to play that. We used like to a, go. To like a standstill. Yeah. It got rough. <laughs> there, were some, there were some rough times. He got to the one guy who starred in that kid's Home Alone ripoff. Do you remember what I'm talking Tony, about? Uh, yeah. Tony Longo. Tony Longo. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I don't know what Tony Longo is. He's the actor. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that, that was, of course, the genesis of the legendary Custos Mandalore. Custos Mandalore. Before he was in the Saw films. Yes. Back when he was in Sub-Zero <laughs> I, I with stum- Casper Van Dien. I, I stumped Willie with Custos Mandalore. <laughs> oh, my God. This is good. so off track right now. <laughs> it'll, it'll never um, happen It was again. great. Willie, uh, what other Speaking of, 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 of things from the past, this is a, a funny thing with me and Nick. When Nick started working at the video store and we started talking movies and whatnot, um, one of the first subject of conversation was how I hate I hated Ken Branagh. I was like, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, do you remember that? I hate oh, yeah. it. I'm like he always casts himself, and he's such a dick. Like yeah. he's 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 not that good as an actor. And like I've grown to enjoy Ken Branagh, but that was my like vendetta director casting him. So like, Ugh, get this guy off the screen. Like, he felt the same way about Ken Branagh as he did about Tom Skerritt. I hate Tom Skerritt. <laughs> I hate Tom Skerritt. <laughs> sort of record scratch. <laughs> I kind of understood the Kenneth Branagh one. I was like, maybe he's a little haughty and like it's a little, it's a little self indulgent to it cast is. yourself it all is. the time. I understand. Even Have you seen good. Frankenstein? No, it's pretty self indulgent. Mm, I, I think I think he's good generally when he casts himself. But I was like, okay, I get that. But then Tom Skerritt, I was like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> I have my reasons. <laughs> it's awesome. Perhaps one day I'll share them. <laughs> right. Right. 
Yes. So anyway, so those are a couple examples, I, th- I guess, of... I don't hate Ken Brown anymore, everybody. I don't. I swear. That's good. He's, He's like a charming man. Much, about, much ado about nothing. Wonderful man. His version of it is so yeah. good. Wonderful man. That's a Denzel one, right? Yes. Yep. Denzel's in it. Yep. <laughs> Unlike Transformers 4. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tim. Oh, okay. You're... Suge- you're, you're oh, Oh, me? Topics of discussion. You. Yes. Oh, you. <laughs> yeah, I just shy. You're the next person in line, like, in the rotation here. And like, what? <laughs> if I must. <laughs> uh, no, um, I've got a couple here. All right. Uh, Woody Allen is not a very good actor. Most, I, I wouldn't maybe classify him as, but the thing with Woody Allen movies is he's the only person that can play the Woody Allen role in Woody <laughs> Allen movies. Because when, well, I shouldn't say that because there are some actors that have done a decent job with it. I think, um, um, Owen Wilson did, mm. uh, did a nice job in Midnight in Paris with it. And, um, but the one that sticks out for me, the one I like the most of Woody Allen is uh, Broadway Danny Rose. It's actually not. Oh my God. That movie's so funny. <laughs> it's, and he's, he's so, he's, what he is, is he's kind of like a, like a hapless talent agent. Um, he, he manages a lot of wacky New York comedians that have kind of hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just, it's a really kind of absurd and sweet movie and it's really an absurd and sweet performance it's my favorite performance of his i think he's probably given better in like any hall in manhattan but i like that one the most i was just for some reason i just drew a connection i don't know if you guys agree because i haven't watched either of them very much but would you think that like larry david is yes. pretty much a woody allen well would he well, would he cast it whatever maybe? works he's he's in whatever works that's yeah the woody that's allen a, movie which by the way i went <laughs> whatever works is Probably my favorite theater experience of all time. I went to while well, I this lived in Chicago. This is above the raid with the other dude. <laughs> yes, this okay. is a, this is above the raid because I went there on like a Monday afternoon with a theater full of Jewish people, <laughs> and they ate that movie up. <laughs> they they loved every second of it. I haven't watched it since the theater, and I walked out going like that was that was great. And then I went home and read some reviews. They're like it wasn't very good, and I'm like I don't care. You do, you watched it in the wrong atmosphere. <laughs> Honestly, that can have an impact. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Um, God, I have Spike Lee on this too. Um, do the right thing. I love do the right thing. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I Spike Lee's a director who um, and <laughs> Nick's seen the new old boy, so he can probably say, yeah. he can he can be a hit or miss. Spike Lee's made two of my favorite movies of all time. I love Twenty Fifth Hour. I love Do the Right Thing, and I love the character of Mookie in it. And I think he's perfect in the role. And um, I kind of when an actor. When a director casts himself, I actually love when they deliver like the main theme of the movie. And I think Truffaut kind of does it in this movie at times. Or he delivers a theme to the other actor. And Spike Lee totally does it at the end of Do, right, Do the Right Thing. Because he, he's the one that throws the uh, the trash can. I'm spoiling Do the Right Thing right now, but you should see it. And uh, he throws the trash can. He just goes, hate! And he throws the trash can through Sal's Pizzeria. I'm like, oh, yeah, Spike. Tear it down, motherfucker. <laughs> um, I love that part. And then he went on to do, like, Mookie went on to be at basketball commercials with Michael Jordan shilling Nikes, which is, which is really awesome in its own way. But, <laughs> but uh, so I've got him in there. Um, and I don't, the, Woody Allen and Spike Lee are also two, like, I don't consider them great actors, but for the roles they play in those movies, I think they're perfect. Um, one more I have, oh, I, I have Orson Welles on here because uh, Citizen Kane, he's pretty good in Citizen Kane, I think I agree. But uh, I actually like uh, Touch of Evil a little more. I've always liked that movie a little more. He directed that too, and uh, he plays a police captain. He's he's like a racist, corrupt evil. His character's so gross. In that movie. Yeah, he's really gross, and uh, he's good at it because it's kind of the same thing as Citizen Kane. Because it's kind of like you're always wondering what's going on in that guy's head. Um, but it's it's really gross. Um, 
then my I, I had to put this one in the net here. Um, Christopher Guest and mm. my favorite, and this was down. Uh, I had this down between um, Corky St. Clair from Waiting for Guffman, which is hysterical. Mm. But I went with Harlan Pepper from Best in Show because I love Best in Show. I think it's a masterpiece, <laughs> and I think he is perfect in that movie. And I think it's another movie where he. Harlan Pepper is kind of he's the uh, he's the Bloodhound owner in that movie, oh, and he's, he's and he's he's kind of dim and he's like a part time ventriloquist. But what I love about Christopher Guest movies is they're never really mean to the characters. There there's always kind of a sweet poking fun at them, and it, it's always really earnest. And he's my favorite character, my favorite. Probably. All right. That is such a good movie. Actually, uh, Day for Night in a lot of ways reminds me of Christopher Guest. I feel like if anyone were to make an English language, like modern version, he would be a great choice to direct it. Largely because I think the character of Severin in uh, Day for Night would be really awesome, played by uh, Catherine O'Hara. Because mm. her character in For Your Consideration is kind of the same way. Yeah. So. For Your Consideration is probably the meanest of his movies. It is. And it's the one geared at Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny, though. Maybe it's, it's deserving, it man. Is, I don't know. It's really, it's really funny. It's funny. It might be the only one that I haven't seen. For your consideration? Yeah. It's not essential. It's pretty funny, though. Right. Yeah, it feels... I, I totally get what Tim's saying. Like He has kind of a thematic like trilogy with, with Guffman, Best in Show, and Mighty Wind. Yeah, because they're all they're all based around kind of working class And And I think that people. they kind of crescendo in terms of like how 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 well they treat their characters because the ending of a mighty wind is amazing it's such a sweet ending and it's so beautiful and uh he could have stopped making movies at that point and it would have kind of been like not nice but it would have made sense i think anyway all right nick your your directors (laughs) casting themselves um i always think of mel gibson right away because he usually plays like the lead and 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 has some hand in like the story and directs and i always think that's and he makes films that win him at Oscars so I always think of him because he does a really good job at, at uh you know both both jobs uh, especially I mean like Braveheart is kind of a you know that's a hell of a movie and he he acts so well in it and he it's very well directed didn't realize he directed Braveheart mm-hmm. he's uh so he's a, he's a talented guy both in front and uh, behind the camera I've also never seen Braveheart don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, watch movies. Guys. Yeah, apparently not. Doesn't read. Doesn't watch movies. <laughs> He's just, a miracle we're friends at all. Alex, Alex just is. He yep. exists. He is. I just float on by. Uh, George Clooney. Mm. Good director. Great actor. Uh, I really like uh, Good Night and Good Luck. And he's he's a very he's a very pivotal role in that movie and he does it really well it's not a huge part but it's it's a it's an important one and he's very good in it and he's obviously a good director as well and uh confessions of dangerous mind is also really good um i want to throw because i really wanted wanted to like uh leatherheads i never saw it kind of liked it he was going for it it was interesting though he's kind of going for a coen brothers kind of like sports movie it was kind of funny coen brothers sports movie right (laughs) (laughs) A bold choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not likely. Uh, this one's kind of a lesser and like smaller roles, but John Favreau. Yeah. I like when he when he's in it. I haven't seen Chef. He directed oh, he directed fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yes. Right? Didn't he direct it also? Yes. Okay, Chef is good. That. Chef um, is it's great. Made is obviously is is good. It's kind of a weird sequel ish to mm-hmm. Swingers. And like a spiritual he, sequel. Yeah, yeah, and he his his mode of direction and 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 how often he does it makes 
people frequently mistake him for directing Swingers too, which Doug Liman directed. And people like kind of understood that Favreau started directing and he was in his movie. So they started attributing credit for that to him. Um, but he put like, obviously he's got a kind of a role in Iron Man and then continues on throughout the Iron Man franchise to play the same character. Iron and it's Man. cool that he, that he, uh, stuck, stuck on too, even when Shane Black took over and he, he still played the same role. Um, one that I don't like, cause I gotta be negative about one of these is Quentin Tarantino. Uh. I find him the most distracting person on screen and I think he's kind of terrible when he's in his own movies. What? I'm going to yeah, okay. Uh, so Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs are the two that I can think of. Is he in more than that? Yes. yes. I, I he's always... in Django Unchained. Remember he's at the, the Australian the end of Django Unchained and he's awful oh. in it, but it it almost works for me. Uh, my biggest I actually don't mind him in Reservoir Dogs. I think he's all right in it. No, he's fine I, in that. I hate that scene in Pulp Fiction. It I is I hate abysmal. it. <laughs> And he is really bad. Spike, <laughs> Spike Lee. I'm going to bring it up again because Spike Lee called him out on it. I kind of agree with Spike Lee on it. He's like, he he said it would be okay because that's the dead dead N word storage scene. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, it would be okay if there was an actor on there saying those words. But when he's on there saying his own dialogue of that, it's almost like he's celebrating the fact that he's saying that word over and over. And he's like, I don't. I don't think you can say that. And I was kind of like, yeah, Spike's got a point there. <laughs> <laughs> and he could be a rabble rouser at times, but I kind of agreed with him there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's totally fair. I mean, that scene is just really awkward and makes yeah. me cringe, not only because of whatever, even beyond what's being said and how he's saying it, it's just he's bad at it. And he's got a movie full of really capable actors. You could have found one more. You didn't need to stop and go, I will do it. And then I think of him in Planet Terror, which is not his movie, but it, it, since it was associated, he, oh my God, <laughs> he should have won a Razzie for that. He's movie. so bad in that. He's awful what is he he's disgusting. He's one scene and he's like a soldier that's going to rape oh, Rose McGowan yeah. and then his like penis melts or something. He's really bad in it. The only two I want to say, just to defend little Quentin real quick, I, he's fine in Reservoir Dogs. I have no problem with him in that because he's kind of twitchy and it makes sense for his character. And he, I liked him in From Dust Till Dawn. Oh, he's, he's playing a total him. creep, but he's. I think Clooney's helping out there. But he didn't direct it. No, no. I'm just saying. I, so as, I a, as an that, actor, as an actor, I think he he hangs because it's got to be challenging. I think a lot of people think in their mind, like directors think, "Oh, I could do this." And some directors, as as we've discussed, they can act because I mean, if if someone else on set has to understand acting, it's a director. But I think a lot of them think they can just do it, and they can't. And uh, Steve Buscemi, I know, has directed at least one or two movies. I haven't seen them, but I've heard that he's very good in them. And I know uh, I'm blanking on what they're called. But anyway, he's someone else that I think of because he's in another movie about making a movie called um, uh, Living in Oblivion. And mm-hmm. it's also super funny, but I don't think he directed it. But it's it's interesting when, when you get actors like Joel Edgerton, actually, when we just saw The Gift. Yeah. It's interesting when actors make they direct like a a movie and they're in it and it's like moderate to good and then they just don't do it again for like a long time or ever. Paxton and Frailty. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that's wow. a great example. You guys did a Frailty review, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, we did. It's a yeah. retro review. That's a yeah. phenomenal example because he's excellent in that, and it's a great movie. Uh, the only one that I could really think of um, was Ben Affleck. Oh, that's Affleck's good. I really, he does a serviceable job in Argo, but I don't understand why he cast himself in the role. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> everybody else is like dead ringers for all of the people in the end credits, except for him. 
<laughs> and it the just name feels... next to Ben Affleck's face in that in yeah. the credits is really funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's just kind of this weird, like, where you just like, I really want to play this role, and I'm the director, so that's that's the one that like the one role of his that really feels like he's just putting himself there because he can, especially because of like the kind of photographic accuracy that they went with for everybody else. It's really strange, and I didn't really enjoy that but he still does an okay job with the part so i'm just yeah. kind of like all right i think he's good and i don't even think he's okay i think he's he's pretty good in it but i see what you're saying if, yeah. if they're going for historical accuracy it's always it's just it's just kind of weird it's like i don't i, think, I don't know he's good in the town though too i haven't yeah. seen the town no? he okay. yeah, he's good i don't town. watch movies <laughs> When are you guys going to get this? You watched Sleepaway Camp. So. <laughs> you did. This is, this is true. Um, this is true. I feel like we can die happy now, right? <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't seen The Karate Kid. Has seen, seen Sleepaway Camp. You've seen most Kevin Smith movies, right? No. No? Okay. I've seen like four or five of them. Or the earlier ones? You've seen Tusk, which is, I think, where everybody <laughs> needs to start with their education. Kevin Smith is smart, though. But I'll give him that because when yes, he casts himself in ninety percent of his movies, but he doesn't talk, which I think he knows. I, I was gonna. I kind of liked Kevin Smith in his early. Well, I like his earlier movies better. Back when he was trying to be like a foul mouth Woody Allen, um, and I always like because it's once again it's the director stating his theme at the end of the movies. I mm. like the end of Chasing Amy when he comes in. I haven't seen Chasing Amy, and okay. I've heard that's the one that I would probably love the most. Yep. yep. But uh, I've seen he does like, it in Clerks. I've seen Clerks, yep. and I've seen uh, uh, Mall Rats and okay. Tusk. <laughs> I think are, I think are the three. What the hell? At least I haven't seen Cop Out, but he does not do it in Mall Rats. But um, oh, and then one more I wanted to share with you, yeah, because I, uh, Prince in Under the Cherry Moon, oh. <laughs> which is a terrible directed and performed <laughs> film. <laughs> But it features that gif of him, and not the gif, the actual shot of him reacting, screaming wildly at the bat. (laughs) I have multiple sealed copies of that movie that I I own. I received one from you for my birthday or Christmas or something. I think Christmas, and I haven't watched it yet. There's two or three more at my house sealed. I don't know why I keep buying Under the Cherry Moon. I haven't even opened any of them. You're what am I doing? I'm just so impressed that there's like still enough of them out there that they can be available for purchase. <laughs> we should do we should do a giveaway on the podcast. <laughs> Buried in your backyard like that ET Atari game or whatever. Ooh. Yeah. Then, yeah. And then hope a prince tree grows from it. <laughs> a prince tree. It's got purple flowers all over it. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. And build yeah. a guitar from its wood. I found a uh, pretty big list of directors that have acted in their films. It's just in the shape of the prince. <laughs> Dumb, I'm kind of disappointed dumbness. in some of these that we overlooked. Like what? Well, we weren't naming all of them. Like who? No, not all of them. Yeah, but they're we just, just some, saying our favorite. There's some that I thought uh, <laughs> you know some of us would would hit and touch on. Okay. I guess we don't have to talk about. Who, who are you Tim. looking at? Who are we looking at though? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Prince because that's here. Uh, <laughs> Leonard Nimoy and Jonathan Frakes. Oh no! Oh, I'm really <laughs> upset. You're right because Shatner's got to be on that too. Yeah, Nimoy. I don't Jonathan know. Jonathan Frakes, <laughs> <laughs> Stallone in the Rocky films. Yeah, I had I had Stallone. I just didn't mention it. Yeah, Ben Stiller. I'm disappointed. I forgot because I wanted to think of a couple comedies and Ben Stiller and Mike Judge. I meant to talk uh, about and I forgot them oh, both. Who does Mike Judge play in Office Space? He's the manager of the like Chili's or Chi-Chi's wherever uh, she works. Yeah. I he's could not remember that. In that role. Yes, yes. Ben Stiller and Walter Mitty. Yeah, Ben Stiller's a good. I mean, Ben, ben Stiller directed a lot of movies. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he's always obviously good in there. And Zoolander is unusually well directed. Oh god! <laughs> and he's he's you know quite good in it. And Tropic Thunder is a triumph. Yes. Of acting. And, <laughs> and the action's actually really good too. So yeah. Ben I'm a rooster illusion. <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah. So Nimoy directed Star Trek three and Star Trek four. The crazy thing is about the original series Star Trek movies, at least in my opinion, from two to six, they have this, uh, they all feel super consistent in my opinion. And it's been a while since I've directed them, since I've watched them. So maybe if I went back, I would feel differently. But I, you wouldn't be able to tell. Like it, it's almost like Nicholas Meyer like started at two and ended at six, even though that's not true. Well, that yeah. Well, th- there's always this theory that um, the even Star Wars movies are the better yeah. ones, but it's three is the one because that's what Nemo. Three is the one that, that bucks bl- because that blows that out of the water because three's really good. Three's yeah. three's fantastic. Two, three, and four are the Spock trilogy. It's, yeah, it's a great arc. Oh God, goosebumps. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no. Were there any other ones on the list that were kind of... Nothing that needs to be <laughs> discussed. Openly. I don't know if John Leguizamo's directed anything. You know, I, all right. In, but. How are we for time? Do we have time? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm running this yeah. shit now, yeah. M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, um, we, we... Here's, here's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> here's something that got a little out of hand. Because he has a brief role in Sixth Sense. Uh, no, it isn't like just a can, like literally what is a he one It's line. very small. Who he's is like, he he's a doctor. Sense. Oh, he's a doctor. Yep. Okay. Yeah. He has a slightly larger role. But draw, Alex, draw a crescendo on the board. Mm. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all know what we he's, all know Is he in Unbreakable? Like. He's in Unbreakable. He plays the guy that Bruce Willis thinks might have a bomb in the bathroom, and he That's talks right. to him. <laughs> And he's like, is it a bomb or drugs? I don't remember. I think it's a bomb. I think so, too. I don't remember. But he thinks he has something, and he questions him, and he doesn't, which I've always thought is a really strange scene because it, it kind of invalidates a lot of the stuff that happens later. It's like, well, how do you know what's right and what's not? You know? Anyway, slightly larger role. Signs. He plays the man that kills Mel Gibson's wife. This is a big role. Yeah. This is a meaty role. Now, granted, he only has, like, one scene of real dialogue, and he does a pretty good job of playing, like, a shaken guy who's scared because there's some shit going down in his house. And then he's got a scene later at the end where they show the car crash and all that. But it's a significant role. It's like, here's a director inserting himself into into the movie in a very significant way. And then you've got The Village. I actually don't remember if he's in The Village. Isn't I, he, he on probably the phone? Is. He plays The or, Village. He's the... <laughs> <laughs> He is the titular <laughs> village. He's Adrian Brody in that movie. <laughs> We're all Adrian I think Brody. he's in it, but I don't remember that one, so we'll skip that one. But then we get to the real where, where the levee breaks. Lady in the Water. Where he literally casts himself as like as a... Cru- the lady as in like, the Water? As like, no. Oh. As like the savior of the day <laughs> and the, the, the character who can like save everyone. And it's disgusting. That is the only Shyamalan... Well... Shyamalan... <laughs> Shalomar. Shalomar. Not Anaconda. Shalomar, baby. <laughs> um, that's the only one of his movies I haven't seen other than the one that just came out. So, Same here. Lady in the Water. So now I really want to see it. It's huh. bad. The village he plays, he's a voice on the phone, if I recall. Hmm. That sounds about Or he might be one of the cops in the station. Like when uh, Bryce Dallas Howard goes running into the station. I had no idea there was... I thought that movie was like a period piece. Oh, well, spoilers for <laughs> Spoiler that. Spoiler I Sam. saved you a lot of time on that piece of shit, so don't worry. Have you seen The Happening? 
so uh, no. he is in the head. It's got John Leguizamo in it. Yeah, I know. I'm down on my Leguizamo duties. You have to see that. I happening. didn't see American Ultra. So in the village, uh, it says he plays guard at desk. Oh, he's at the end of the yeah, movie. Yeah, yep. yep. Okay. Yep. At yep. the end of the movie, which I just spoiled. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> it's the village. <laughs> Uh, the Asian happening. He, is... he has a he has he's a character with lines and he he matters. And then in the apparently he's in the last Airbender, but I never got far enough oh, to see him. Jesus. It, so. well, last Airbender I watched and then started playing around my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so I liked it better than some of his other movies. I've wanted to watch like a cut of all the fight scenes together because that's the only stuff that I'm interested in in that movie. Okay. Well, thankfully, he's not in the visit anywhere. He's not a voice. He's not a picture on the refrigerator. He's nowhere. And I think mm. that was the right move to just step back. Honestly, a lot of the stuff about... Did I say the village? I meant the visit. No, you said the visit. Okay, good. He, there's a lot of stuff about the visit that is the right move for him. So, anyway. He wasn't an after-earth either, which is pretty sad. Correct. <laughs> I, I think know. they really wanted to sneak the fact that it was his movie. Like, in the marketing, it was pretty, like... <laughs> Will he just nodded a mouth, sure mouth sure. the words I know to me? <laughs> he doesn't want to say it all. I'm sure Will Smith cut his scene from the movie. Okay, really? Oh, he mocapped the alien. That's what he did. <laughs> I think I think M Night no, was, was originally he was originally the dad, and then Will Smith was like, "No, I'll do it. No, I got this. One. I'll do it." <laughs> oh my God, Bruce Greenwood played an alien. Right? What was the point of that? I don't know. That was the, it. Kind of looks like Bruce Greenwood too. Well, from in, I in, oh shit! Uh, in Super Eight, yeah. yeah. Oh, it does look like Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, it's weird. It's really strange, considering it's like a spider. Do you know thing. this in Super Eight? Yeah. Oh, you know God. the alien in Super 8? No, I kind of forgot about that movie. Bruce Greenwood plays the alien. <laughs> like, <What>? Yeah. <laughs> he like they cast the Bruce Greenwood. And it kind of looks like him now. You got you to Google this. It's actually less necessary than Benedict Cumberbatch being smog because the alien in Super 8 does not talk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, it is less necessary. It's just an alien that Bruce runs Greenwood around. Bruce Greenwood alien. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the mocap is just as useless in both situations. Right, probably. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Benedict, it was just a voice, yeah. and so it was like, okay, just, just that makes it. sense. It's a voice. Yeah, he's yeah. Bruce Greenwood. Why? <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's I mean, so funny. Hey, I'm all for it. He's like, hey JJ, I got a, I got another, got another house I want to buy. <laughs> Let me get. Let in me play on that this. alien. <laughs> yeah, this, this alien kind of looks like Bruce Greenwood. It yeah. does. Yeah. Yo Dude, JJ. When, when I saw the movie, I was like, God, that looks like Bruce Greenwood. <laughs> Yo, JJ, did that, did did uh, Greg Grunberg take the alien role yet? No? Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> he can voice that? it. Yeah. Our alien designs these days are kind of sucky. They're yeah. stay below, yeah. dude. Yeah. We need Japan to get on the ball here. Yeah. <laughs> Look it up. Either that or cast Bruce Green- Greenwood more. That's all Just aliens. Perfect it. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they were on to something, huh? All right. Well, I think we can wrap up that discussion. Leave <laughs> <laughs> uh, it on a high note. Yeah, ending on a high note. So we can talk about Nick's choice for keyframes, Francois Truffaut's Day for Night, uh, which stars Jekyll and Bissette, Jean-Pierre Léaud, uh, Francois Truffaut, Truffaut, and many other French people, including Danny. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Whoever she is. <laughs> the IMDb synopsis for the film says, A committed film director struggles to complete his movie while coping with a myriad of crises, personal and professional, among the cast and crew. So I think I've started this off by passing it to the person who made the choice. Nick, uh, why did you pick Day for Night? <laughs> Sum it up in three words. How please. much time do I have? <laughs> uh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll twenty-three minutes. Um, <laughs> oh, oh well, well. Uh, it's a movie that I've talked about a lot, both in just personal conversations with you guys over the years, and I think it's probably been mentioned on the podcast a couple of times. Oh yeah, but I think. Uh, it's pretty important to me because it. 
I saw it when I was in college, and I took a class. Is this a Shaviro movie? It was. That's wonderful. Um, I took a class kind of on a whim of all about French New Wave cinema, and I was like, that sounds interesting. I'll take that. And so I took it, and I ended up really falling in love with the whole era of uh, of movies. And then the stories behind a lot of these directors are very interesting. And these are guys that loved movies more than anything. These are guys that devoured it, and they were ravenous. And Truffaut and Godard and these dudes would they would all hang out and they would take trains into like cities to catch movies because movies in like the in like the late 50s early 60s there weren't movie theaters like there are today like it would be like a big deal like hey this movie's showing at this theater only on these two days and it was like it was like going to a ball game or something it it's was like a event. pilgrimage to go right and these guys would would scrounge up what little money they had hop on a trains go into a different city go see a movie go out afterwards talk all about it just absorbed it and they all worked as film critics at a magazine in France and Truffaut and Godard were obviously the two most famous from this this era of directors, but there was a whole host of them. They all made good good movies. Uh, but Truffaut became really famous when he was young for writing this article that basically called out the French movie industry. And he called it a certain tendency of French cinema. And he basically said, French movies today suck. They're horrible, and here's why. And this was a big deal because it got picked up, it got ran, and the French film industry was like, what are we supposed to do? And Truffaut was talking about the things that were going on in America, and he was talking about Hitchcock, and he was talking about how Hollywood got it right, and Hollywood was making these amazing movies. And that's when they, these guys started directing, and they, they just took, they had no money, so they took cameras, and they just went out on the street and had, like, non-professional actors and, like, no money for lighting or permits or anything, and they just shot movies guerrilla style and just started making movies. That's kind of how 400 Blows got made. Uh, a lot of Godard's early stuff was just stuff that they kind of stole. And Isn't that like very Lars von Trier, too? Isn't that kind of how he came about? I don't know. A little bit? All right. doesn't matter. Anyway, keep going. Uh, so these guys started to gain a lot of notor- notoriety, and what was really fascinating was Hollywood started taking note, and they were like, we kind of like that style, that approach to filmmaking, and they only did it because they had to, and pretty soon Hollywood was like, it's kind of cool, it's edgy, it's hip, there's something to it. And meanwhile, all the film brats that were growing up in uh, the United States, like Scorsese and Peter Bogdanovich and George Lucas and, and all these guys, they were watching these movies and going, man, those guys know what's up. And so they directly influenced the people that they were trying to imitate. <laughs> and so all these young guys made movies in the 70s, like Taxi Driver and uh, I'm, now I'm blanking. Um, all all the other stuff like that that was gritty and that was shot more like handheld. All the De Palma stuff like Blowout. Right, and, yeah. exactly. Coppola's early yeah. stuff. Yeah. All that stuff was directly influenced from these guys. So I found, and I really love 70s American cinema and then like early 80s stuff, and I found that fascinating that it all originated here. And what makes this movie so cool is it's very polished, it's very clean, it's very controlled, and it's very much an homage to great studio cinema. And there's even lines in this movie where towards the end where they pretty much acknowledge like the death of that era of like studio films. And he even says, uh, you know, studio films are over. Pretty soon movies will just be shot in the streets and they'll be whatever. And it's just funny because this is Truffaut playing homage to himself and to his to his uh, peers that he came up with, to all the great directors of Hollywood. There's a scene where all these film books go by and you see all these great names, including Godard, which is funny because... Godard got pissed at him at this movie, and he was like, "What is this? What is this sellout bullshit you made?" And they, their friendship actually ended after mm-hmm. this movie. And then Godard or uh, Truffaut died probably uh, 
10 years later, maybe a little bit more. And Godard always regretted that their friendship ended on that note because he was like, he made a great movie. Why did I get pissed at him? <laughs> so it's uh, it's a really fascinating movie. The history behind it is great. The uh, And then even beyond that, I think all the characters are really good. I think the score is amazing. I think it's an, it's a just an excellent love letter to, to movies. It, it's clear that, uh, you know, a lot of this... The, the director just has has a, an intense love for his medium, and it the movie's full of characters that are talking about how much they love film, and it's uh, it's just great. It's a it's a wonderful tribute. It won the Oscar for best uh, foreign film in 1973, and it was actually up for an Oscar the following year in 74 for I think screenplay, hmm. but it lost to I think Godfather, uh-huh. something like that. Which is interesting because they talk about the Godfather in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's some, it's, there was something strange back then about how the years, how the awards came out. They were staggered. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very cool. And there's uh, you know, there's a lot. Of, I like the Truffauts in it because it's almost, I think, he's very good. He's very capable in it. And it's cool that he plays the director. And he obviously probably brings a lot of experience to having to play that role in the movie. But I think it's also sort of an homage to Hitchcock, who he idolized more than anyone. I think that's kind of uh, kind of cool. So there's, you know, I could go on and on about the about that era and the history and everything about these guys in that that time, but I think this movie represents real growth for him as a filmmaker, as a writer, and it's it's really nice to see an evolution because if you watch, I know Tim said he's seen 400 Blows. I don't know about Willie. I know you haven't, Alex. I don't know. So I can't remember. It's uh, when you watch Actually, that movie, I've seen all. No. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's a really good movie, but it's actually very, I've seen all of John Leguizamo's films. <laughs> It's a good movie, but it's really rough. it's much more rough around the edges, and it, it's interesting to watch his uh, him grow and, and get a lot better at what he was doing. All right, Tim. Yes. What did you think of Day for Night? Um, I liked it quite a bit. I wish I had more of a um, a knowledge of the French New Wave. I remember basically my knowledge going into this movie is I took a film class. We went over French new wave for like half the class. I read the chapter, which uh, like Nick summed it up really like that's, you can go more in depth, but that's a nice and, um, nice baseline. And then I read the chapters and then we watched 400 blows and I went, wow, this is, I really like this. And then I stopped watching, (laughs) (laughs) which sucks because I always meant to go back and kind of watch it. And I wish I had a better, um, understanding because I think I would think I would grasp a lot more of what he's going for in this movie. Um, but even just knowing the kind of the history of when they were coming up, um, because he did he did take to task um, him being a critic and everything before making films is very interesting, mm-hmm. and he did take to task a lot of um, studio films, especially from France at the time. I mean, and a lot of that time they were coming out of World War II at the time, and when he was younger, a lot of the movies were they were controlled by Germany on yeah. um, what they could see, and a lot of the French movies were very safe. And I think this is a very, I like this movie a lot. I think it's a very mature movie because he's kind of, he is paying tribute to those old movies that he didn't like at the time, but, and, and it's not in any sort of like sad, self-indulgent way. It's, it's a very sweet love letter to that style of movie making, I mm-hmm. think. But in the same way, it's kind of the, it's kind of a tribute to his own, um, the, the new wave style of kind of that slice of life because he's taking a look at the slice of life um, of making this movie and how people come together. And I like it a lot because it's not self-important the entire time too. It's not, the movie they're making isn't, from what I can grasp, isn't like the greatest movie <laughs> ever made. No. It's kind of, uh, one of the things they they loved, and this is kind of what I 
really liked about it. Um, the new wave filmmakers liked a lot of B movies as well. They liked a lot of noir. Um, they liked a lot of um, horror movies at the time in the forties were um, like that too. And they liked a lot of those movies. And that's kind of what it seems like they're making in a way here. And this is uh it's an interesting the way he goes about it, shooting it. Um, I liked it quite a bit. I also liked him in it. He's very good. He and he's very relatable, which is nice because mm-hmm. when you think of French New Wave. Uh, a lot of people may may not think of relatable, yeah. <laughs> but he is. This movie's funny. Um, I think when people think of French New Wave, they think of other movies of that. But this is kind of a conventional structure uh, with the way the story is told. Um, and I think they might be thinking of other movies which totally have merit too. But I tend to prefer this type of filmmaking um, to their ones. But he's as a director, he's kind of just a guy. I love the scene where he, as a kid, he keeps having flashbacks, flashbacks to Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. And then I love the scenes when he's in bed because, and he's like tortured and he's, he's, he's like sleeping. He's being, but he could, he's not a tortured filmmaker. Like he's like, I can't get my art across. He's just really annoyed by people at the time. <laughs> like that's how, and that's way more relatable than, than some like Tim Burton, like, why won't they let me make my art? <laughs> but I relate more to the guy who's just annoyed by the incompetence around him than anything. So. Being, being asked all of the questions. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. He's just trying to get his product made in a timely way and wants everyone to get to the finish line okay. And I think that's... He sets it up early in the movie, too, saying a director is, is someone who gets asked a lot of questions. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes he knows the answers, and sometimes he doesn't. All right. Willie, what did you think of the film? I liked it a lot. It was very good. This is a kind of a... Really a kind of movie I've never watched before. I, I, I don't know much French cinema at all. Um, yeah, I'm not well-versed. In any way, shape, or form. This is very cool, though. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> no, it is. It's really great. It's a very cool... I think you get more of the what the filmmaking experience is from this than you would from like a documentary, even. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you're, you're watching... I mean, you're, it's really weirdly meta because you're watching a guy on screen... A character on screen who's a director being played by the director of the movie that you're watching. <laughs> so it's like, whoa, hold on, Inception, you know? But it's in a, in a good way. It's very cool. Like, you can tell he's drawing from legitimate things that he has dealt with. I'm sure there's some dramatizations of certain things, I guarantee, but that makes it fun and that makes it exciting to watch. That's the thing is there, there's no sacrificing uh, character or story. And it's a relatively simple story. They're making a movie. But there's no sacrificing of that to like show you how technically something is achieved. He doesn't sit there and tell you like we need to put the crane over here and then we're going to like none of that. They just show you it happening in front of like like mm-hmm. figure it out. Like there's little things like with the candle, with the light behind it. Like that's neat. That's that's cool stuff that I I never thought of that. I'm like, "Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. Like that makes sense. They need to find a way to light the scene." So yeah. there you go. Um no, it's a cool insight into that into filmmaking as a whole and then in that time period too. Um I think it would be neat for no one. No one should remake this. That's ridiculous. But I think it'd be cool for somebody to make a similar kind of movie today with the new technology that people have to deal with on a daily basis. It'd be kind of cool. Different challenges, you know. What if there's a movie that's completely set in green screen? It's just Ian McKellen crying in the corner. <laughs> oh no! Uh, um, What's so cool though about this movie is that. And it would be really cool to see a modern, kind of a modernized version or a similar film. There's so much in this that wouldn't really change. Yeah. So much of the day-to-day and the process and all the roles of all the characters, there's so much of that and that just has not changed. It's fascinating. So much about how movies are made has not changed in 100 years. 
Obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff has, especially on the technological side. But so much of the inherent, like w- like the people that are required to make it, their roles have like barely evolved. It's really yeah. neat. Yeah, there's certain issues that he deals with in the movie that you're always going to have to deal with. And, you know, I mean, an uh, important member of the crew has a death in the family has to take off for a week or whatever. Um, the actors are being brats. You know, like that stuff that... I don't think ever goes away, but then, you know, there's interesting, I, I, there's interesting stuff in terms of it's a lot, I mean, they're shooting on film, obviously the digital wasn't around. So it's a lot more expensive every time she fucks up a take like that's right. yeah, sure. It's, that's an issue. And, and you can tell the stress of the people behind the scenes. He's keeping his cool because or like the film lab going down and having to, it's having to literally reach. That would whole never happen worth. now. You know, I mean, it just doesn't, it's not the way it works, but I, no, it was really cool. I really enjoyed it. Um, I was entertained throughout, but I was also there were some cool like tidbits of this is how things were done and, and movie magic. Yeah, it's very neat, very neat, very. I can't think of another movie that's quite like this that kind of skirts the line between borderline documentary or docudrama and then also being a really funny like kind of parody. Oh, not parody, but like a kind of a riff on some of the the day to day filmmaking troubles. And yeah, it's, it's cool. It's very unique. Uh, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit as well. Um, especially seeing as how, and this might come up later or next week, but one of my favorite filmmakers is Wes Anderson. And as he's somebody who's so influenced by French new wave, kind of seeing those threads of DNA where they kind of started, or at least one of the many examples where they started kind of watching, like I, like Wes Anderson movies a lot and like looking at this I'm like oh it's like I like Francois Truffaut movies like (laughs) like clearly there are things that were taken there that I do really enjoy so kind of seeing that influence as well and then even the idea of it being like somewhat of a meta experience kind of the bookends of the dude who's shooting the documentary or like the b-roll or the the what like even maybe a news story or something on on the movie itself kind of even like making it into other things in terms of like that's kind of what ends up happening in the office and like watching the little tendrils of of ideas spiral out of movies that are so big in cinema is always a very like interesting thing for me so i think from that standpoint it was very cool but on top of that i feel like in terms of foreign film i tend to especially earlier on, it would be harder for me to watch them and I would get very jumbled up and like, oh, who's who's saying what and and is this person who he was, like, who is this in the scene? Is it somebody that I've seen before or somebody new? I would get trapped up in that kind of thing and this movie has none of that. And I think some of that is the idea that a lot of the people seem to have kind of uniforms, which is something yeah. that I marked on where somebody's always wearing the same clothes you know oh this is that guy from earlier because he looks exactly the same Uh and and just uh feeling like everybody's very well developed even in the subtitles because sometimes when it comes down to that the subtitles don't necessarily say everything and that's a conversation that i think we can get into a little bit too but having that having everybody feel fully formed and like their own character. And it's not really something that I'm completely used to in foreign films. Cause it's like, especially even like in the seventies, a lot of the times it feels like there are movies. Like if I think back to Toho's Godzilla that we watched for this, I feel like there's a lot of people in that movie, but I don't, I can't like pull out any characters, 
But this is a movie that has a very large cast. It's a big ensemble, and I feel like I know what everybody's role was, and I think that's important in telling a movie about making movies, like telling that story. So that's very cool to me as well. But, I mean, I loved how funny it was. There's a lot of great jokes in there um, about everything down to actors being divas and little throwaway things here and there, and all of it's fantastic. Um, And, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was great. It makes me want to watch more New Wave. It's interesting because this is, I think some people might not even consider this new wave, technically. It's, it's kind of it's like It's near a, the tail end, if not even beyond a little bit. Yeah. So it's... Uh, it's in a way, well, it's almost, it's almost kind of like a nice capper on it, though. It too. is, yeah. yeah. Because it sums up, it, it, I mean, it, it takes into account new wave in it, then it kind of sums up what it was kind of rebelling against at the yeah. time, too. Yeah, so. it's almost like a weird look back at, you know, what, where they came from. And as well as like an evolution and like almost uh almost like an acceptance of something because like Tim said, they used to really just rag hard on studio mm-hmm. cinema. And it, it's it's almost like I mean shit, you can li- you can listen to episodes of the, of this this podcast from three years ago and I I I know there's stuff where I got really riled up and like really mad at something and I would probably listen back now and go what was that guy so angry about? Like, like what, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you all, I think this is just the nature of, of, of life that as you get older, you look back on certain things you did or certain things that bothered you or certain tendencies that you had. And, and you look back with time and go, well, what's the big deal? Like, well, it's a sign you, of growth. Yeah. And you start, you maybe start to accept certain things that you didn't before about yourself or certain, like, you know, it could be anything from like certain social functions that you, that you serve uh, to like certain job things and certain responsibilities that you have as you get older and it's just the way it is. And I think that this movie's kind of cool because Truffaut probably would have like totally thumbed his nose at this kind of thing. They look at that big time director with a budget and a studio and like, Oh, someone died. Sure. Go take a couple days off or, Oh, this is an inconvenience. We'll just shoot another day, which is something that Sam Raimi directly has talked about. And I said, while we were early on in this, I said, it reminds me a lot of, I think what Sam Raimi has to go through. He was talking about coming off of Spider-Man and doing Drag Me to Hell. Yeah. And he was AD. He'd turn to his AD and say, hey, how much time do we have for this shot? And he'd go, uh, dude, we have six hours left to get these like four scenes. And he'd go, oh, well, that's not going to happen. What do we do? And they're like, okay, well, throw that scene away. Quickly rewrite this, like hand write new lines and hand to the actors. And Sam Raimi like thrives on that. And so he said Drag Me to Hell was a really refreshing experience because it reminded him of when he was younger, when he was starting out, this kind of thing. So I think like, you know, a 20-year-old Truffaut would look at this film and be like, Pah. <laughs> wasn't he 27 when he made like or he was in his late 20s when he made 400, 400 blows, blows. Yeah. yeah yeah and he uh which is one of your angrier ages i think as a human <laughs> and, yeah. yeah it was about the time we started this podcast about yeah. how, old, how old i was so he, he uh but then i think you know as he gets to become an older more mature guy he realizes like the a these kind of films are are something that people feel the need to make and that's okay and you know it's okay to get better at something it's okay to, to be successful and to have money and and to have a higher quality product. And I think you get a lot of those young, angry types that are like, you know, don't want to do that. And I think it's a really nice Truffaut, like accepting his growth. Yeah. That's, that's oh, very cool. I want to build on that a little. 
Because okay. I want I hunted I hunted no, down No Tim. <laughs> I hunted out that Godard uh Truffaut rift that came about from this movie. Yeah. I have it screenshotted in my phone Do actually. You? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Because I was it fascinated me when I read about it. Oh, isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, um, it is amazing. <laughs> there is a uh there's an article online called The Day the New Wave Came Crashing Down, and it gives the entire story pretty much. Um but the part that I was gonna get to, I'll read it off. Um, because I think it's an interesting look. The it's under the riff with Godard. Um the world loved Day for Night, but not Godard. He wrote to Truffaut accusing of being a liar because he hadn't undertaken a political uh, critique of the film industry. Quoting a line from the film, he complained, You say films are trains that pass in the night, but who takes the train? In which class? And who is driving it, driving it with a management snitch at his side? Um, and then he added Chutzpah to the chutzpah, uh, to the injury. He invited Truffaut to invest 10 million francs in his next, next feature. Truffaut retorted with a long, furious... Um, Epistle uh, attacking his comrade as a hypocrite and a poser. The friendship was over. Uh, Truffaut seems to allude ruefully to this episode in his extraordinary um, bleak The Green Room adapted by, from Henry James in which, it, in which Truffaut plays an obituary writer morbidly obsessed with commemorating all the dead in his life except for one man, <laughs> a friend <laughs> who he quarreled with and whom he never reconcil- reconciled. Um, I think it's fascinating. He... There's this idea of um, it's like truthfulness versus honesty in a movie. And I think um, from what I can tell, Godard was kind of hurt by the fact that he didn't think this movie was truthful. But in a way, it's really honest because truthfulness is like presenting it as like a documentary. Here's exactly Mm -hmm. what happened this way, this way, this way. This comes up a lot in like um, Oliver Stone or Michael Moore movies because they take certain things out and they kind of embellish certain things, and you're like, is this is this even honest anymore? Mm. Like, is it truthful? And Oliver Stone movies, I think he's making a movie, so I think it's thrown out the window. Michael Moore movies, you can make that because he's making a documentary, <laughs> so that argument's valid there. Um, but I think there's that idea of truthfulness versus honesty. But this movie is r- still really honest about the process of making a movie and the absurdity that goes along with it of. Going like having to deal with life's issues and then having to deal with shooting a cat, attempting to drink <laughs> milk for hours on end. Yeah. So in a way, I mean, I and the idea that Truffaut was a sellout. Sometimes that always that bothers me. Mm-hmm. That idea that when someone gets better at making a certain type of movie like this is, it's the Scorsese thing too. Scorsese didn't sell out. Scorsese just made Goodfellas, which is really good. <laughs> like it's a really good movie. He just got better at making movies. So uh, there, and I think Godard went kind of a different way with his movies and he tended to, I, I haven't seen, but from what I, I know of it, he, he tended to get more non-conventional in the way he told stories and I, that's fine too, but I don't. I think there are two sides to the coin. Yeah. In it, so there's room for all of it. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The truthfulness and honesty thing always reminds me of the Colbert truthiness yeah. establishment, where he says, "I'm not here to read the facts to you. I'm here to feel the news at you." <laughs> I always love that and thought it summed it up pretty well. The the two guys. I mean, they are a very interesting dynamic, Truffaut and Godard, because they were they were probably two of the closest when they were coming up. And then they just had that horrible split. But one of the one of the thing uh one of the things I thought was so funny was when Godard wrote his really angry letter to Truffaut, like criticizing Day for Night. Um his return address was Jacques Daniel Norman, a virtually unknown filmmaker whose films were loved by Truffaut and Godard when they were film critics. 
hinting at a simpler return to a simpler time. <laughs> and I was like, that's such a troll move. To like <laughs> return address that is that name. I mean, I could Im- that's the kind of thing that's so beautiful. I mean, these guys are like Professor Xavier and Magneto. Like they, they were, <laughs> they were so tight. And to to sneak that in there, and anyone else would read that and go, "Who's that?" Yeah. Andrew Foe would read it and go, <laughs> and just instantly know what he was getting at. And it's such a good. A good I wouldn't even think to be passive aggressive in the return address of a letter. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, if you ever watch any of Godard's movies, you'll get it. He's just—he's <laughs> a much angrier yeah. guy, and he—he he was very political. Uh, I love that Truffaut was like, "Come back, like, oh snap! I'm going to adapt this Henry James novel, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> I guess Truffaut. Yeah, you like you said, Truffaut's letter back was really angry, and he. Uh, Truffaut was insulted by letter responded by telling Godard he is demeaning and pretentious and that he pretends to be poor when in reality he's the wealthiest of all their friends. Because <laughs> he was huge. I mean, Godard was, was an international. I mean, he was, he was a big deal. And then it said the response also included a line in which Truffaut flat out calls Godard a shit. <laughs> 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 but it's sad because, you know, uh, Truffaut died like 10 years later and then he, he was only like 54 or something or 53. Yeah. And he was in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is which is kind of cool. He actually plays, uh, he's a French scientist that mm. is in the movie and Spielberg like obviously adored the guy. And yeah. he is like, he the oh, one who's like nearly in tears at, towards the end of it? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, he's beautiful. Yeah. Which is really funny because there's actually, uh, in this movie there's a scene where an actress can't remember her lines and they, they take cue cards and they tape them up around the set so she can see them as she's moving around and Truffaut was struggling with his English lines, mm. and he actually took that technique from his movie and like used, <laughs> used it in real life and put the lines around because he was like he and he got frustrated with himself while they were filming that movie. He was like having a hard. He's like, I'm I'm just really having a hard time with English, and Spielberg was like, Dude, it's okay. Like, you'll, you'll work it out. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to touch on, we almost got into a little bit last week, was the whole translation thing, right? And how kind of realizing, I I don't I don't know how it's worked for anybody else in terms of learning this kind of thing but i work i've learned some japanese i work at a japanese company and kind of learning the fact that lost in translation means more than just oh you didn't translate it right that there is literally no way to translate something from a to b and have them mean the same thing Mm -hmm. um we watched the Criterion Blu-ray for this movie, which has a new uh, subtitle track. Um, you talked about the differences a little bit last week, I think. Or maybe that was when we were talking about it on Sunday. But, I think it was Sunday, yeah. Yeah. But basically, there's little things here and there that are different. And, and mm-hmm. I've, I've, it's something that I've kind of woken up to and found really interesting in that the... And I've spoken to a few different people about it, the idea of the puzzle that it is of taking a work and translating it and how it's not so much you're never going to be able to be like here's my book in english put it in japanese get it out there like if you were to just do that there's a possibility that you'd be losing so much Mm -hmm. and that you need to sit down with somebody who is really kind of very functional in both languages and decide like the idea, I remember listening to the 8-4 Play podcast. They were talking about how they worked on the latest Fire Emblem game and how they would sit down and be like, this joke works in Japanese, but if I translate it into English, it makes absolutely no sense. So what joke can I put in that place that has the same effect? 
And the idea of making those choices in games, film, books, whatever, is very interesting to me. And I don't know that we necessarily needed to can touch on it too much here because none of us are masters in French. But I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that, like if you wanted to expound upon it at all. There's, I think it's an interesting topic. There's a lot we could talk about it. But. There's actually a really funny joke in Frasier where uh, Frasier and his brother Niles buy a restaurant and they're trying to think of what to name it and they say it should be something French so that it's has an air of, you know, uh, has a dignified air to it, but at the same time it's intimidating enough to discourage the rabble, I think is what <laughs> Niles says. And he says, ooh, 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 what's the French word for lighthearted? And Frasier goes... There isn't one. <laughs> and I always thought that was just really hysterical because <laughs> I was like, that, that's probably true. <laughs> it's possible. But there's, yeah. uh, it is interesting because I've watched this movie. I have, I've had the DVD for a long time and it has obviously the French language track with English subtitles. And I've always thought some of the subtitles were a little weird. Like some of the lines were a little confusing and it, it seems like an early DVD where they're like, just put it out, whatever. And I watched it for the first time with any English a couple days ago. And there were a lot of scenes that were actually very tonally different. Because I was like, "Wow, this is this is really interesting." Because and and it's not necessarily the fault of the subtitles, but it's just in my language, so I understand mm-hmm. it a little bit better. And I'm sure some of the dialogue was tailored for you know American or English speaking ears. And this uh, the new Criterion transfer there for the it's like ninety percent the same mm-hmm. the lines, but uh, there there are some subtitles that were different, and some some lines are funnier, and some some are better, and they hit home more. And some, I, I found some scenes kind of lacking a little bit. And some of the jokes were were not quite there the same. And I thought that was really interesting and kind of a bummer. It was like they, I don't want to say this, but it seems like some of the lines were dumbed down a little bit or just flattened out to be a little bit, just to get the point across. Mm. And it didn't have the same flavor that the original subtitles did. Mm. So I kind of wish they had found a more happy medium between the two. Overall, I think everything pretty much landed. And, and a lot of, a lot of, the jokes and, and, and even some of the emotion in the movie is, uh, is obviously conveyed by the actors, which is one of one of the things that's kind of a bummer about foreign films is just inherently when you have to read subtitles, you're missing out on some of the acting because yeah. you're, you're quickly re- scanning the bottom of the frame. Yep. And there's so much great stuff going on in this movie that you can't really drink it all in the same way. And I'm fortunate that I've seen this movie so many times that a lot of scenes I just won't read because I already know kind of what's going on. And, there's so much little stuff going on in, in the actors and, and even the fun stuff that's going on in the background, like watching. Right. And if we're going to do a little bit of like spoilers right now, just because sure. we're almost there anyway. Go watch the movie. <laughs> Press pause. Yes, absolutely. I, don't, I, can't, I can't vouch for which version the Amazon streaming has, but yeah. it's probably the one that I have on DVD, in which case it's totally fine. You're not going to be lost or anything. Um, but anyway... I love the opening scene of this movie so much because it starts and you just think you're watching the movie. And then when you just see that close-up of him saying cut, and then it just you see everything that happens on a set when the director calls cut. You see the AD getting all the extras together, telling them what was good, what was bad, giving them all the notes. You see the director blocking out key stuff with the two leads. You see the camera department reloading the camera. You see you know lighting guys making any tweaks they need to make, sound guys reloading. Like You see everyone immediately get to work and do their job. And there's 80 different things going on in you know the three minutes it takes to... To reload the camera and then everybody goes back mm-hmm. and it's so much fun to watch all those little things that are you know the the frame is just packed full of activity you see all this different stuff that's going on and it's there's a lot of that in this movie just watching different people do their jobs and even you know whether you understand how a film set works or not it's really fun to watch 
all these people because film is such a bizarre there's so many times in this movie where someone goes this is a weird life and like what an occupation i have and and that kind of thing like what a strange job and it is because you have these moments where you have a very brief window of time and you have this huge team of people working in sync to make you know 60 60 seconds of a usable Mm -hmm. movie especially these days when they were shooting film and then at the end of the day they would go screen the rushes and see what was good what was bad and you you have all this work for like a minute of screen time, mm-hmm. and it's such a weird like who who would ever think that that's a good idea? <laughs> it's and it's beautiful. It's the only thing in the world like it, I think. Yeah. And you see these guys all sitting around together watching, and like, yeah, that was good. Oh, we got to do that again, or oh, here's this problem. We got to go redo that. And just to think about the amount of time and money in real life that even today that's spent on realizing this. Totally. Amazing. All right, uh, two last things, real quick. I'm sorry. I like the perspective changes in the movie. There's a lot of times where you are seeing it from the camera's perspective. There are some times where you're seeing it from the actor's perspective, and there are other times where you're kind of the third person right. seeing the actual set. I thought that was cool, and watching where those shifts are and giving you that view, those views, is very interesting. And the titles are awesome. I like how it's kind of the uh, what you'd see on the side of a piece of film, magnetic strip sound wave of right. of, of what's being presented to you during the credits. I thought that was cool. So, and it's funny because you're you're listening to the composer actually score the movie, yeah, and you're not understanding quite yet what you're watching. But when yeah. the movie's over, you're like, oh, I was already behind the scenes and I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Very cool. The perspective changes uh, with the characters too. Cause yeah. it kind of jumps around um, with who it reminded me of. Uh, it, it's like um, Robert Altman, like Mash or yeah. Nashville. Kind Have of you ever seen the player? I've not seen the player. Oh, it's great. That's yeah. another movie all about making movies. And okay. it's, um, it's really good. It there's, there's some similarities. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of like the long take and longer takes with the handoffs of the characters perspectives right. and things who it's focusing it on. It's very, very cool. Um, there are a lot of really great lines in this movie. And what's funny is, like, I think they're great lines because I've read the subtitles and they're good, but I, I kind of wish I knew what was being said yeah. natively. Yeah. But there, there's a lot of stuff that just translates, and I love the um, the observation Severin has about, you know, this is what a strange thing. We spend all this time together. We all become, like, family, and then poof, we all, like, mm-hmm. dissipate. And that's so the way it is, and it's really interesting. Um, I think Truffaut's observation about the whole life is rotten dialogue yeah. that he just steals, from, steals her from her is really funny because I think he's he, like Tim was saying, there's a lot of things about film that he's saying that he loves. And one of them, I think being the great paradox of does life imitate art or art imitate life. And I think he, he accepts this as just a, a universal truth that these things happen. And it's funny because the scene, the flashbacks that Ferran, his character is having, that's, that's autobiographical. Truffaut mm. did that when he was a kid. He like roll, rolled up to a movie theater and stole a bunch of the like promotional stills so he could the have lobby them cards home. and stuff. Yes, yeah. And I thought that was really funny because I'm like, now he has this really good scene in his movie. It's a really interesting thing, especially the way it's spaced out, how you get little snippets of it until mm-hmm. you're like, what is this? What the hell is this? And then by the end, you're, it all makes sense. But that whole that whole dynamic, especially that is just just in that scene and one scene alone, he in one line he manages to just completely convey that idea that. Sometimes we find inspiration from the stuff around us and it finds its way into our work. Sometimes certain aspects of the movie find their way into uh, to real life. Um, I think there's an amazing exchange between Alexander and the doctor in the car. They talk about people's need to be loved. Yeah. And they, 
they deconstruct, I think, a lot of the fragile, uh, you know, egos of actors really, really well. And, and, and find a way to, to attribute it to like everyone, to everyday yeah. people and talk about how we all feel the need to be loved and we're judged all the time. And that when you see these people thrown up on screen and you know, they're constantly being scrutinized and, and, and judged, it makes you kind of understand why so many actors and celebrities and high profile people have breakdowns or have, have issues or have a lot of personal turmoil because they're being examined all the time. And it's funny because it's just kind of a relatively throwaway moment where two people are just talking in the back of a cab on the way to the airport, but it's such an important scene. Yeah. And that ca- that character, Alexander, has a lot of those lines where he's he's almost kind of a mouthpiece for Truffaut as well. He's kind of talking about you know the nature of life versus work versus art. And um, just one other last thing: the <laughs> there's a, it's a really subtle thing, but it's hysterical when they're done shooting. Uh... Ah, crap. I don't remember what scene it is. I think it's the, it's the scene uh, where they're they're in the house at night and there's the rain and everything, and they shoot it. And you hear Ferran ask uh, Walter, the DP, he goes, "How was it?" Walter goes, "Fine, perfect. What do we do next?" And he says, "We do it again." And I, that's like perfect. It's exactly how how it always goes. You see them be like, "Oh, that's great. One more." Yeah. Yeah. How was it? It was immaculate. It couldn't be better. Yeah. One more. Let's get one more for safety. That's just funny. And then there's so many uh so many montages in this movie that are phenomenal. They mm-hmm. always give me like goosebumps and like pull at the heartstrings a little bit cuz there there's especially the one right smack in the middle of the movie when Veranda's talking about how everything's on track now, everybody's starting to gel, the crew's come together, the cast is into their roles. And there's this amazing montage that shows just movies happening mm-hmm. and everyone working together as one cohesive unit and you see all these fun things like uh Alphonse walking through the dolly track and all these and like uh, Julie slating because she's in the car and the ag- the AC can't be in there, and you see all this fun stuff that you're like, oh, that's clever, that's kind of fun, and the score and everything works together so well to really convey this feel of like the, the trains Moment on the time. tracks and it's it's gonna make it to the station. Yeah, it's just, there's a lot of just wonderful montages in this movie. Absolutely. All right, you guys I have any spoilery stuff? Anything? No, I think I think I'm good. All right. That's what's dangerous about doing this movie because I just want to talk about it for, like, <laughs> for, like, for like four hours. Well, it was your key frames, so Absolutely. yeah, it's uh, it's a good one. I recommend it. it's it's actually a great if anyone's ever curious about getting into like into that like Tim was saying that era of filmmaking like French New Wave or even just French films. It's a it's a really wonderful way to kind of break in because it's it's a really accessible, palatable, easy to digest movie. It's easy to watch. It's easy to understand. Like you said, it's easy to understand who the characters are. It's you're funny. Not, you're not, it mm-hmm. is funny. Yeah. You're not going to have the guy from, from Legend of Joker Master just shows up because like, we need a character. <laughs> <laughs> Write him in. Like, you know yeah. who everyone is, and they've been established since the beginning of the film pretty much. Yeah. So. Totally. And then you can you know, start to get to some earlier Truffaut stuff. And Not all of his movies are amazing. He's had some that where you're just kind of like, Ugh. Hmm. Uh, why? But uh, you know, there's some weird stuff out there in French New Wave. There's some really good stuff too, and actually, uh, Italian neorealism is really good too. That's from like the 40s, and like the Bicycle Thieves. Mm. Uh, that's an amazing movie. If you guys haven't seen it, um, you can watch that today, and I you'll have... be like, "This is amazing!" Like it feels like a movie you could you could go in 2015 to see in the theater. It holds up incredibly well. I think it's from like 1942 or something. Right? Or yeah, no, it's it's, just, it's after World well, War those, II. Well, those movies kind of led into. Because those kind of inspired them, didn't they? In yeah. a way, yeah. So yeah, they liked what Italy was doing. They were like, "Hey, check this out!" Because again, it was like non-actors just in the streets filming, and right. And Italy was like destroyed after World War II. <laughs> like it was, uh, it was not in good shape, and so they just 
had to make do with like whatever they had. Right. And, and actually in the player, the Robert Altman movie, which is all about movies, it's all about Hollywood. Uh, even more, almost more so than this movie. There's a whole big chunk about the bicycle thieves and how he goes, he's like a hotshot agent who's like kind of a producer who's kind of lost his way in the machine. And he goes to the theater to see the bicycle thieves. And it kind of reminds him of why he got into movies in the first place. It's really, really refreshing. But it's honestly remarkable how well it holds up. And a lot of these, you know, old films do. Yeah. Feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com is where you can talk to us about the things that we talk about. What are you talking about on the Game Nerds? Uh, Game Nerds last week, uh, we did Metal Gear Solid Five. This upcoming week, we're talking about Destiny again. Oh, oh what? Yeah. The Taken King came out. I'm going to talk about other things. Should be talking about Until <laughs> Dawn. Yeah, because I picked up... Uh, oh, that's why you gave him that look. <laughs> yeah. I picked up uh, uh, Super Mario Maker. Okay. So I'm going to talk about that a I'm little bit. I'm excited to hear about that. Might talk about some Splatoon if I can play it. Okay. Um, Splatoon? Over here yes. going, boom! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Splatoon is one of Nintendo's Nintendo's newest property that they've made. And it sold very well. And it's pretty big. Good. Um, and it's a first-person shooter, I think. Or third-person shooter. I know you want to talk about Until Dawn. No, 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 no. What are we talking about on this show next week, Alex? What are we talking about on this? I don't what are know. we talking about on this show next I have week? No idea. I'm kind of between two ideas. Between two friends. Between Nick is legendarily un- indecisive when it comes to things he loves and like having to pick one. Oh, I'm indecisive. You are being slower than he is. I'm, I'm indecisive in everything. I've had the most time to think about it, and I. I don't know. I technically decided yesterday. <laughs> it was pretty hard. Yeah. Alex kind of almost committed with the Facebook post, which I'm glad he did. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I, I think it was important. I think next film school needed to make it onto the podcast. Can we hear what you're debating between? Then I like the variety of this. My deliberations. Yeah, I mean, one. there's still a, a, a spare possibility that I would want to do Tron Legacy or John Carter. Okay. But I'm kind of mostly between the Life Aquatic and Fight Club. Okay. Okay. Those are the two that, because those and honestly, those are number one and number two, reverse respectively. Maybe I don't know. However, I said it, those are one and two on my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I, I, I'm I like to listen to or talk about either one of those. those two. It's been a while since I've seen yeah either one. So. I know I know we did a pretty good. Uh, God, it was very early on, and I argued with you guys about why Fight Club is a good movie <laughs> or why it's. Why it does deserve the praise that it gets. I that's but, a movie uh, I would like to revisit at some point. So yeah, so we'll see. I I I ah, goddamn. I wanted to commit at the end of this, <laughs> and then I was like, well, we talked about we're doing day for night, and I don't want to talk about like Wes Anderson might be a little close to that. Like I kind of think that maybe I, should, I mean Ninja maybe Turtles I and Jackie Fincher. Chan aren't too far. Marsh, huh? Two martial arts films, <laughs> two highly stylized and composed. I don't know. Very French-influenced films, because one of them yeah. is French. Do the so, past. Do the past. <laughs> do the past. Yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be the past. That's how I was going to start. I was like, the movie we're reviewing next week starts with the... And ends with past. No. But, the Fight Club. The Fight Club. The, the Combat. The, <laughs> the Combat. Uh, it's, I mean, this is really hard to choose. Like, Tim and Willie did a really good job just being like, that's the movie I'm doing. And, like, I agonize over this stuff like willie said it was like i was true in the in this movie i was in bed like uh, what's it gonna be because i was like this movie is gonna be the movie where i was like i picked that movie to talk about mm-hmm. it's and, and why did you pick it well you know there's a lot of things that go into it i um, still think i mean there's room to do a second series of these i'm sure we could make that happen or every once in a while when we're like 
There's probably room to do a hundred series of these. Well, yeah, yeah, but but we could always return to keyframes, which is also kind of a retro review anyway. So I, there's no reason that we can't. I'm already decided. Multiple. Right. I know what you're round number, two, so we I can you, I can start. Your number next two time. is there. I mean, I don't know, and I I think I I might still. I think I'm saving the John Carter because we should really just do a the John Carter. A, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we should really just do like a an anniversary one for John Carter on Willie's birthday because they're one and the same. Yeah. Yeah, March 9th. Uh, a lot of good things happened on your. I birthday. thought you were saying me and John Carter were one and the same. Uh, yeah. Well, that's strange. Yeah. A man out of time. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, March 9th is a good day. Um, but no, I don't know. Check back on the Facebook. Stick tuned. I should have something decided by the time we record next week. Anybody has though. any votes to cast? For Serenity, actually. You guys need to watch all 14. Or you've already seen it. You need to watch all 14 episodes of Firefly first. That probably won't happen within the week. No, I don't think so. Yeah. You should take it. I'll pay you for a day of work. That's to tough watch too because Firefly <laughs> Serenity. You kind of have to watch Firefly yeah, to absolutely. get the most out of it. No, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't urge people to watch it without. Although seeing they, the, yeah, my brother, my brother watched the movie first, and he went, "Wow, I want to go watch this show." That's so. fair. <laughs> that's fair. But still, oh, what a ruin! And then, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, I think that was one of my <laughs> fight scenes that I meant to mention last week was Mal and the operative, but. That is a good one. Yeah. Anyway, we've been recording for long enough. I've kept you guys here for long enough. Uh, all that other crap. Kyle X, Y, go watch a movie. Bye. Bye. La combat.